It's 11.05 on WSIC News Radio when you're listening to All Things Sane with normally Representative Jason Sane, who is taking a well-earned vacation right now. I'm your fill-in host, David Coble. You uh, may have heard me with uh, Senator Vicki Sawyer a few times on her show um, uh, for... Uh, uh, what was it called again? Oh, yeah. We were just saying. <laughs> so my, my mind's a terrible thing to lose. But if you'd like to be part of our shows, 844-STUDIO-4, uh, you can also uh, le- watch us streaming live on the WSIC News Facebook page. Um, even though we do not have Representative Sane today, we are honored to have with us Representative Jake Johnson, uh, North Carolina rep, House Rep from the 113th District. He is uh, chair of the um, IT Appropriations uh, Committee, as well as the Oversight and Reform Committee, and vice chair of Appropriations and commerce. Representative Johnson, how are you doing today? I am doing good. Thanks for having me on, David. Absolutely. How's the weather up in Western North Carolina? Oh, it is great. I've been outside this morning and it is awesome up here. Fantastic. Well, I mean, this is where I'm accustomed to having folks on the phone. This is the first video uh, call. If you're on our uh, WSIC News Facebook page or YouTube, you can see us, uh, uh, Representative Johnson, on there um, uh, live and uh, looking good. Um, he and I are, are, are a great contrast. We look very similar, uh, minus his great hair. I have no hair. I'm old. He's young. But outside of that, we look almost exactly alike. <laughs> well, I've Listen, I've been told I had a face for radio before too, but this video is going to defeat the purpose. There. Exactly, exactly. Wait till we get you in studio and you get to see yourself up on the big <laughs> monitor. It's a humbling experience. But uh, so I did get to spend some time with you, Representative Johnson, last week down at Alec. Uh, we were both fortunate enough to be able to attend down there. Um, I know that there was a lot of good um, uh, information presented at Alec. I know it's a great time for legislators to come down to network. Um, some great panel discussions, and you participated in a couple of panel discussions while you were down there. Sort of tell our audience a little bit about uh, sort of Alec as a whole and then what you were involved in while you were down there? Well, I tell you, leave it to Jason Sane. Uh, he wasn't going uh, to miss the show just because he was at Alec. He set up a studio right in the middle of the hallway down there, and, uh, and he, he had a radio show broadcasting right from uh, the middle of Alec last week. And it was, it, there was some great policy discussed down there. Alec is a truly unique um, organization where they bring legislators from together from across the country uh, to talk about, hey, what's working in your state that we could use in ours? Or, uh, you know, what are we doing that you could do better? Or what have we tried that, that may not be the best thing to try where you're, where you're coming from? Uh, so it, it was a really unique experience. We had great, uh, great guest speakers. Ron DeSantis uh, was there speaking, um, had, had, some, had some great minds in education there. Uh, and I spoke on a panel about artificial intelligence, uh, which historically has not been my wheelhouse, but we've all been forced <laughs> to uh, kind of kind of adapt and, and learn things we, we, we didn't think we were going to have to. Uh, so I had a great discussion there about how we can stay competitive as a state uh, here in North Carolina and stay competitive on the international scale as we looked at uh, what countries like uh, China and others are doing to uh, potentially stay competitive with them on the international stage. Yeah, absolutely. And what, it's interesting that you talk about artificial intelligence, right? Because a lot of times we um, uh, we don't think about uh, the roles that technology and everything like that plays in state government. You know, obviously North Carolina, huge uh, state, a lot of different agencies, a lot of different systems and things like that. And I've had a little bit of experience with this in noting that, um, you know, a lot of the systems that we have are still sort of functioning on uh, Windows 95 um, in some <laughs> respects. Um, and I, were you even born in 95? I was I was I was barely born. Barely born. So you don't I'm, remember I'm a ninety four baby. You're I'm a ninety four baby. So you were not participating on Windows ninety five. I, however, was being in my old self. But and and you know, great operating system, but a few decades behind the time. So, well, talk David, to David, I'll tell you exactly when I came online. I remember my mom saying, 
get off the computer so I can call your grandma. Is, <laughs> okay, is that, all right. Does that, does that tell you around where I was? That does. That doesn't actually makes me feel just a little bit better about okay. myself. <laughs> but obviously, um, you know, technology is something that sometimes is difficult to get focus inside of our state agencies and obviously inside the legislature. But you have really been leading the charge in many respects of, for innovation and technology in, the, in our state agencies. Talk a little bit about some of the work that you've been doing, um, you know, and obviously, you know, uh, having to be in a panel on AI and everything like that. How do you see AI and then technology as a whole sort of filtering through and, and, and sort of um, innovating inside of our state? Well, I think the biggest fear is people say, oh, this is taking away from potential jobs. And I mean, I would I would argue the same thing was said when when computers came out and before that, when there was calculators and, and everything before, it's not necessarily taking away from anything. It's making uh, jobs more efficient the way we do them. And, you know, it, it potentially is uh, altering the, the high demand fields. Uh, but, but I think that's just an adjustment that, that we've made uh, for workforces over time that we're going to have to continue making. Uh, but I'll, I'll just use one very, very niche example is uh, uh, cybersecurity. When we talk about uh, how we defend ourselves as a state against either state sponsored or, or private attacks uh, against our against our servers, when we think about how we defend against those, it's not always someone sitting in a room clicking a button uh, to defend against these attacks. It's, it's algorithms that, that, that pick up on these attacks that, uh, frankly, are working 24 seven when when some, you know, when there may not be a person sitting in a computer. So we need that. We need that human capital, but we also have to invest uh, in areas where where, frankly, we're vulnerable. So. Uh, it, 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 it will soon, I think, in the coming years start to affect most all sectors. Uh, so it's better to be ahead of the game. No, absolutely. 100 percent. You know, it's interesting that you talk about, you know, technology taking away from jobs. You know, um, how many people deliver milk to your doorstep anymore? Right. <laughs> or exactly things, right. And so, I mean, yes, technology maybe replaces certain jobs, but the market adapts and new jobs are created. And I know that that's been a focus, um, you know, of uh, of you while you've been down there in inside of North Carolina. Talk to me a little bit about um, before we run up on the break uh, from a um, technology standpoint inside of state government. Where do you see the most opportunity for us as a state to improve our efficiencies. It was interesting, uh, the uh, Secretary of State, I read an article this week from North Carolina, was, you know, lamenting that we're, you know, 23% uh, below jobs, uh, what we should have in state government right now. Uh, there's a 23% vacancy rate. And I know that inside the legislature, you all have sort of been focused on, well, you know, that 23% can be a little bit misleading because we have opportunity for technology innovation versus hiring additional people to do works that do do jobs that are really sort of, you know, in the private sector just aren't there anymore. Where do you see the biggest opportunity inside of our state? Well, I tell you, I think the only place we have a uh, full, full capacity is in the house Senate and governor's mansion. I think <laughs> everywhere else we're, we're pretty much missing people. And, and so, you know, when, you know, I, I think the biggest opportunity is just from a, an efficiency standpoint, let's just take one department uh, within a department. Let's look at DMV. Uh, I think most of our listeners out there, if you've had uh, if you've had to get a license or you've had to get uh, something renewed or upgrade your license, uh, that 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 sometimes is an all day experience. Uh, but I could also go right down to the airport there, scan a barcode at a kiosk, get my uh, boarding pass printed out and be on an airplane within an hour. Uh, but we've got people that are just driving an automobile. Uh, going to the DMV and waiting five, six hours in line when they should be at their jobs or taking care of their kids or doing something else. Uh, they're waiting all day, sometimes standing outside at the DMV 
uh, I think we can uh, should be able to very much expedite that process and have it seamless. Do you go in, scan something, hand it to somebody, they look at it and go, yep, that's good, valid ID. That's the person standing in front of me. Print it off. Here's your license. Have a nice day. Uh, but we've got to do the things on the back end, whether it be the data storage, the data migration, uh, the cybersecurity, uh, the the purging of the roles, doing all those things on the back end to make sure that's as efficient as possible to where it's it, it increases the customer service experience. And uh, I've actually requested money in the budget. I know it's a high priority for Representative Mr. Chairman Sane. So uh, I think we've got a good chance of getting some progress done there. Excellent. No, and, and I know there was a lot of good discussion about technology and innovation down at Alec. Um, you know, it's funny. I was uh, I was shown a, a TikTok video from a left leaning, uh, putting it mildly, organization sure. talking about how Alec was just a place where nobody did anything. Everybody was just down there whining and dining and eating. And all, I walked through those uh, exhibit halls and everything like that, and all I saw were a lot of legislators in suits in Orlando, Florida, with a heat index of about 120. <laughs> going back and forth to sessions. So I think it was very productive. You're listening to All Things Sane on WSIC News Radio. We'll be right back after the break. Welcome back to WSIC News Radio and All Things Sane uh, with Representative Jason Sane, who is not here today. I'm your fill-in host, David Coble. If you'd like to be part of our show, uh, studio number is 844-STUDIO-4. We are so streaming live on the WSIC News Facebook page. I got to tell you, I've done Senator Sawyer's show and I've done Representative Sane's show. And I got to tell you, Representative Sane has definitely the more funky bumper music as we come back in, which should not surprise anyone uh, because he is, uh, I love to tell him he's a funky individual, uh, but uh, we're uh, back Back with Representative uh, Jake Johnson from the 113th District from the House helping us fill in. So, um, Representative Johnson, uh, we were talking during the break a little bit about uh, NCDOT and things like that, and then you would sort of let us off with the DMV. But uh, a little bit of excitement this week, I guess, um, in news, the uh, speaker's race um, starting to seem to heat up a little bit. Um, some fundraising numbers came out, uh, you know, for those who, who are keeping track. Uh, Representative John Bell, Representative Dustin Hall have been sort of the the two, I guess, I don't want to say front runners, but but the ones most talked about uh, to replace outgoing Speaker Tim Moore, who has announced he will not speak, uh, seek another term. Representative Jason Sane, our own Jason Sane, obviously has been in the conversation, which would make total sense given the amount of time he has had and the great job he has done as appropriations chair. Uh, and then the fourth individual, Representative uh, Kidwell, um, who um, announced, uh, who had a little bit of a hiccup when he announced last week. We were all at Alec when he made his announcement, and he was doing it live via Facebook. And his engineers, obviously not as good as our engineers here at WS. I see news because he spent 10 minutes without being able to get his sound to work. But, um, and, uh, you know, Representative Jake Johnson, you know, this is sort of, uh, um, you know, having a new speaker, this is something that hasn't happened in a while. Uh, Representative Tim Moore has been there for a while. So walk us through a little bit from your standpoint, the speaker's race. I'm not asking you to pick a favorite or anything like that, but just what you're seeing as far as the house goes and sort of what this looks like now that we're getting, um, you know, an opportunity for a new speaker, which we haven't seen in a while. Well, and, and you hit the nail on the head that, uh, you know, this is not something we, we see or have seen since I've been there. You know, I've, I've been in since uh, 2019. I was appointed in August of 2019, which seems like yesterday, but it's actually been a while now. And so we have we have not uh, seen this in my time. You know, just looking at the numbers, uh, obviously, you know, I, I, I like uh, I like seeing the friendly competition going on because that's uh, inevitably more money coming back to our caucus to help us come back in a supermajority. Um, so that's a really good thing that we have a little bit of friendly competition going on. Uh, I think I think all the candidates bring a lot to the table and we're going to be in really good shape 
uh, no matter how this thing cracks out. You know, I, you know, I, I hope there's conversation uh, going on between uh, all the front runners and, and, you know, I would love to see us come to a consensus ahead of time and be able to uh, be able to get, get some things agreed on. Uh, but no, I think we're in great shape uh, and seeing these guys come out and have the strong fundraising numbers they did. That's that's really good to see. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, Representative Bell raised about uh, sixty eight thousand uh, dollars in this last cycle. Uh, Representative Hall about right around sixty eight K as well. Um, uh, Representative Sane raised nearly one hundred and twenty two thousand dollars, which is a, an impressive number, especially in an off cycle year, uh, off cycle election year. Right. Because nobody's nobody's running this year in the House. That, that's Election, and I'll also note that uh, that this is while we've been in session, which, make, which makes it uh, extremely more difficult to fundraise uh, while we're still in session. The guidelines of, of who can give are, are much more strict. So it, it, it really is a testament to the work these guys have put in uh, being able to go raise this money. And like I said, you know, it is it is a huge indicator of, of who needs to be leading this thing, because the reality is. Uh, speaker has a lot of jobs, uh, but one of them is to make sure the caucus is in a good financial position, uh, in our case, to keep a supermajority. So those fundraising numbers are a huge indicator. Uh, and, and I appreciate you not making me pick a favorite because as much as the speaker likes to say they're not our boss, um, you know, I say, you know, it, when when they uh, when they pick your committee assignments and uh, let you know where to sit and things like that, I said you you can't help but feel they are in a, in a position that that uh, deserves some respect. We'll put it that way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, no, I, I think the world of, of all those guys, and uh, I, I think the strong fundraising numbers are a testament to their work ethic. So, um, just out of perspective, and I think that's a good sort of feeder in. I mean, other than the other than the cool title and the big office. What is why would someone want to be speaker of the North Carolina House? Because I think a lot of times we get focused in on, you know, uh, federal and the speaker of the House of Representatives up in D.C. We hear a lot about that, obviously read a lot about that. Um, it's in the news all the time. But when we're talking about um, speaker of the House in North Carolina, what is what if someone pursuing that job, why would they want that job? What does the speaker do? Well, I've, I've always said, you know, and I've, I've, I was a county commissioner before this and uh, at, a, at a pretty young age. So I've, I've been in this game a little while. And I've always said if somebody uh, made me pick tomorrow, would I rather go to Congress in D.C. or would I rather be speaker in North Carolina? Uh, I, I can tell you it's, it's speaker all day because the the influence it wields. Uh, I, I think if, you know, when demonstrated the right way, uh, speaker can really dictate policy throughout the state. Uh, and in fact, and, and really affect change in a positive way. Um, what what the you know day to day entails is you know that they are not as where majority leader uh, or position like that is within the caucus. Speaker is over the whole body, so it's elected by the whole body and presides over the chamber while we're in session. Uh, behind the scenes, they appoint uh, committee assignments, uh, chairmanships. Uh, they, they make sure that, you know, we're all on the same page when it comes to things like uh, appointments to boards and commissions. Uh, so that affects our university system, utilities commission, industrial commission, all these things that, uh, you know, may not be at the forefront of people's minds, but makes a huge difference uh, in the way we implement policy in North Carolina. 
Absolutely. And one of the things that's sort of interesting about this is, is that, you know, obviously we do have a supermajority uh, inside of the North Carolina House and North Carolina Senate, uh, which means, you know, the, the you know, anything that the, the governor vetoes really, in most instances, won't really won't stay that way. And so, but what I, one of the interesting things about it is having that supermajority sometimes I think makes the speaker's job more difficult because it's no, it's no longer about trying to pull together enough people to overrule a Democratic governor. It's trying just to keep his own party together. Um, and believe it or not, inside the Republican Party, and not everybody thinks the same about things and prioritization. So what have you seen, um, you know, as far as, you know, what Speaker Moore has done? And then what do you feel like are going to be the critical things that, you know, our new speaker is going to be going to have to do in order to keep that coalition together? Well, you, you point out a, a really good point, especially when you have a supermajority on, on the nose. You've got 72 votes. Uh, exactly. It makes it much harder because if one person is not happy uh, with any bill we roll out or an override we're taking on, we've got a serious problem uh, because we have to have everybody on the same page. Not only do we have to have them on the same page from a policy perspective, just think about the logistics of getting 72 people in a room uh, to, to make sure we have the numbers to conduct these overrides. Uh, I mean, we've all got you know our separate lives going on. We've all got campaigns we're running. We all have... Uh, for most of us, for, for instance, have private jobs that uh, this is a you know part time gig, as they say. So we, we have jobs. We work back in the district. Uh, some of us live 30 minutes away. Some of us live six hours away from the capital. So just the logistics uh, in a big state of getting people in a room, making sure you coordinate the schedule. Uh, that's another important function of the speaker's office is coordinating schedules uh, to make sure all those things come together. That's that's no easy task. No, absolutely. And I, I, I neglected to mention Representative uh, Kidwell um, uh, uh, raised uh, 5500 uh, in the last cycle, uh, about three k on hand. So, um, you know, I, I find this interesting. Do you feel like that you're going uh, – because in the presidential race right now, right, I think we're up to 232 Republicans seeking the uh, presidential <laughs> nomination right now. It seems like everybody and their brother is getting involved in it. Um, and so when you see this race, obviously, you know, Representative Sane is not, has not formally announced that he is seeking the speaker. Obviously, his name continues to be uh, put in there, one, because of his position, two, because of his, his amazing fundraising ability and the way that he has been very generous giving back to the caucus. And that's one of the key things that I think a lot of people see is, you know, in large part, uh, represent, you know, folks like Representative Sane are in, you know, historically safe districts uh, from a Republican standpoint, but they still raise money. And this money goes back to the caucus, into those races where it is more difficult to win, those things that we need to make sure that we keep Republicans, um, uh, you know, keep Republicans. Republicans elected. But do you anticipate, are you hearing any rumblings of, of anybody uh, else jumping into the speaker race? Now, and, you know, this is Representative Sane's show, so I will ask you not to formally announce your uh, seeking of the speakership, Representative <laughs> Johnson, uh, on this show. But uh, obviously you could do that, uh, but uh, I, uh, but I'd ask you not to do that if you're planning to throw your uh, hat into the ring. We'll have to find another show for you to do that. No, no, Bob. I've made uh, no. I've I've been pretty clear. I'm I'm uh, running. Uh, I said I'll, I'll I'll make it very clear uh, whatever I decide what I'm going to do. But I I think we've got some great people in contention, and I know Representative Sane is not formally announced. But uh, when you look at his fundraising numbers and his his uh, status within the caucus, uh, he is sort certainly someone you would want on your side, uh, e even if whatever he decides to do. Um, I can tell you he demands an enormous amount of respect within the caucus and uh, being budget chair, conducting things the way he has. Um, he's been extremely approachable for anyone who, is, who has come to him discussing budget items. 
you know, he, he works well with others across the aisle. Uh, and then obviously the two that have announced uh, have, have been working hard as well. So, uh, no, I, I tell you, I, from, from a member of, of our caucus, we are in a win-win scenario with the people that have or uh, maybe even have not announced yet. So we're, we're, we're going to be in good shape. No, absolutely. And it's interesting because, um, you know, one of the things to talk about, obviously, these announcements come out. Um, I'm starting to wait for the uh, press releases to announce they, the, for folks they will not be seeking uh, the uh, speakership. It's always one of those things where I've always I've always loved when people announce for things. You know, a lot of people have come to me and asked me to run. I just want to be, be able in front of them sometimes say, OK, who? Who 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 yeah. announced you? Who, who, who was it that asked you? To exactly. Run? Your mom doesn't count. Your that, mom does not the... count. Mom looking at you and saying, "Honey, you do so good at that job." Does not does not uh, does not count count as a, a lot of people coming to you to announce. Now, now, if your mom tells you not to run for something, you should absolutely take that advice. <laughs> if mom will not support you, then absolutely you should take absolutely that advice in hand. Advice. Because <laughs> if mom won't vote for you, then you know that you've got a larger problem, right? That's and obviously, right. Representative Kidwell has announced uh, did it last week, um, and so he'll be going. But obviously, uh, uh, a member of that coalition that you have to hold together. So it's going to be an interesting speakers race. You're listening to All Things Sane here on WSIC News Radio. We'll be right back after the break. Welcome back to All Things Sane on WSIC News Radio. This is David Cole filling in for Representative Jason Sane. If you'd like to be part of our show, 844-STUDIO-4. We're also streaming live on the WSIC News Facebook page. I'm noticing a definite uh, theme across the bumper music. So I'm just like, I'm, I'm bopping my head, man. But we're here with Representative Jake Johnson from the 113th District in the House, helping us fill in for Representative Sane, who's on a much-needed uh, vacation. Uh, Representative Johnson, uh, obviously um, some good news came out last week uh, while we were at Alec, uh, that it, it seemed that the House and the Senate had come to an agreement um, around the budget. I know there were a couple of questions around tax package, finance package, yeah. and things like that. So um, tell us a little about where do we sit right now with the budget? How are you seeing this play out? When might we see a vote? Well, we're, we, we, would, we would love to see a vote by the end of the month, obviously. I think there, uh, the, the, the headlines last week were a lot of progress had been made. Uh, you know, in conversations with leadership, it sounds like some of the major sticking points, at least, uh, are are underway of being resolved. Uh, you, you know, when we, when we come into session, whether it doesn't matter whether the House or the Senate starts out with the budget. This year, the House started out with the budget, and we were on a tremendous, uh, I would say, borderline historic uh, record-setting pace of getting things done and, and getting out by a certain time. Uh, for all the people who this is their first session, uh, they asked me, they said, oh, gosh, we'll probably be out by uh, end of July at this pace. And I said, uh, this, this is not my first rodeo. I've, <laughs> I've been told that before. And I uh, remember putting up Halloween decorations in the office. So I, I will uh, keep a healthy uh, skepticism uh, about getting out by the end of July. But now that those major sticking points are resolved, you know, it becomes, uh, you know, we got some of the top line numbers worked out. Now it becomes, you know, with within our own within our own uh, areas, getting down and, and hashing out the finer details. But uh, once that what that tax tax package is so important because you have to know what your what your revenue projections are uh, to really know how much you can cut. And I think that was the house's, uh, you know, biggest point of contention is. We're, we're fine with tax cuts, and, and we obviously uh, like people keeping as much of their money as possible, uh, but we have to know that the state is going to be in a good financial position to be able to do that uh, so that we're not setting future legislatures up for failure. 
we want them to be able to continue uh, this economic growth uh, and investment in infrastructure uh, in a responsible way. Yeah, absolutely, one hundred percent. And as vice chair of the appropriations, obviously, you are um, you know instrumental in the room doing those um, uh, those budget negotiations and things like that. So, from your standpoint, right now, I mean, obviously, there's a broader house perspective as it comes to the budget. But when you're in there in the room and you are talking about the budget as representative Jake Johnson, what are your priorities and what are you looking for to make sure come out of that budget? Well, I, I want to invest in things that are going to give an economic return over time. Uh, that, that's probably the biggest thing I would say is obviously, you know, I've got my member requests that are that are coming right back here to the district. Uh, but when we're investing in things, whether it's in our districts or across the state, uh, what is setting future generations up for success? Uh, and that's where I think when we invest in things like workforce development, when we're investing in uh, roads, buildings, schools, uh, those are all things that are going to have huge economic returns over time. If you go and visit a state and you're looking around going, oh, my gosh, this is run down. They don't know how to maintain their stuff. Your odds of going back there to spend money go down significantly. But if you go and go, this is a really nice place. I would like to come back here, visit uh, and, you know, maybe even relocate there at some point. Uh, those are huge economic multipliers that, that help our state increase revenues over time. Absolutely. And, and um, of course, North Carolina, again, this year, number one state for business uh, in the country. We continue to foster a, uh, a a competitive and very favorable business environment, in large part due to the policies, um, you know, of our Republican-led House. Uh, you know, obviously, Representative Johnson, you're part, um, you are part of that. Uh, but I did want to um, ask you a, a question as far as, you know, you said hopefully a but, bu- you know, vote by the end of the month. Once budget is done, what's left? I think you, I think you're off the air, we were talking about redistricting, right? That's coming back around. Uh, do you envision that being as difficult a slog as it was last time? Because, I mean, a lot of people are like, this is deja vu, Groundhog Day all over again. Didn't we just redraw maps? <laughs> but we're back to doing it again. So how do you see that playing out when it comes to uh, the end of this, uh, coming uh, towards the, hopefully, end of the session? Well, I'm, I'm glad we've got a North Carolina Supreme Court in there now who understands how to read the Constitution. Uh, the problem last time was that we had some very radical left-wing judges on the Supreme Court who pretty much said they were just going to ignore the Constitution. They didn't like our maps, so they were going to put these impossible guidelines in place uh, knowing there were going to be lawsuits. And we always knew there were going to be lawsuits because they were already drafting lawsuits before we even published our maps. So it had nothing to do with the merit of our maps. It had to do with Uh, They were going to try to sue until they got the maps they wanted or thought they could win under. Uh, Had nothing to do with with uh, constitutional relevance. And so what what we've got now is is uh, some justices who came back and said uh, the Constitution says the legislature shall draw the maps. To me, that is extremely black and white, cut and dry. Uh, So they have uh, reinforced that. So. My guess is we'll come back sometime later in the year, maybe September-ish, something like that, and take another look at these maps and, and draw them as a legislature. We have the most transparent redistricting process in the history of our state. We have practiced that for two, two cycles now. We've done this. The most transparent redistricting process in the history of our state. Uh, but the reality is they, they were going to come after us legally no matter what because they already had the lawsuits drafted before we even published those maps. So I'm just glad that we've got a Supreme Court now who respects the Constitution enough 
uh, to, to interpret it in a way that the legislature shall draw those maps. No, 100%, absolutely. And one of the things that I think is interesting about the map discussion is the fact that after all of the lawsuits <coughs> and getting the maps that people thought were split certain ways and everything like that, the Republicans still ended up with a supermajority. So at some point in time, you know, maybe maybe the lawsuits and maybe the uh, redistricting process isn't the problem. Maybe it's your policies, guys. Maybe that's the fact that, you know, we, you got a map you, 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 were, you seemed reasonably okay with and you still couldn't win. So, I mean, at some point in time, maybe you start to rethink your policies. Well, anyone who says anything about gerrymandering, I would just tell them to go back and take a look at the maps the Democrats drew when they were in power. If you remember the old uh, the old congressional district that ran from Charlotte and went about uh, ten, looked about ten feet wide, going up eighty five to Greensboro, that was uh, that was done under Democrat control. And and frankly, people talk about gerrymandering. I said, well. You know, we got a majority somehow, and it wasn't under maps we drew. So, uh, you know, we we won under we've won under Democrat maps, we've won under Republican maps, and you're exactly right. At some point, uh, the other side's going to have to look in the mirror and realize that they're radical. New York and California policies are not what North Carolinians want to see. Oh, 100%. And if you, uh, I remember when uh, when the, the redistricting conversations were going on last time around and Roy Cooper was, uh, you know, decrying the horrific way you all were drawing maps. I saw a nice little graphic of the nice district he had drawn for himself when he was in the legislature. And it looked like, it almost looked like a worm that just sort of went on. It, it was like, you know, five miles wide or, or five miles long and only like a mile and a half wide uh, that got, and it just happened to hit all the appropriate Democratic neighborhoods in order to uh, draw himself a district. So it's like, you know, it's good for me, not for thee, seems to be a, uh, a, th a theme when we talk about uh, redrawing these districts. And when we finally started to put a focus on uh, judicial candidates who respected the Constitution, uh, we have, I, I don't believe we have lost a statewide judicial race. So it's something that the voters obviously care about as well. Oh, one hundred percent. And I think you know, I think you know, I think uh, Chief Justice Newby does not get near the credit he deserves for kicking that off. I think the 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 state of our North Carolina Supreme Court, I think, caught a lot of people off guard because they were just so focused. And you know, judge races being nonpartisan uh, and, and things like helped with that uh, makes it a little bit more difficult, at least at the time. And you know, judge you know uh, Judge Newby went through and really uh, you know not nationalized, but made uh, judicial races statewide judicial races a matter of priority for folks and yeah. putting that on radar. And I think people really saw all the great work that the legislature was doing. All for naught, if you uh, if you can just sue up to a democratically controlled Supreme Court, that's just going to knock it down of the uh, duly elected uh, legislature. So really a great job by him. And obviously Republicans have a, a majority now on that Supreme Court, which is really what was needed. Exactly, exactly, Ryan. I said, when I go to press yes or no, I should be thinking about what's best for my constituents in the state, not how I'm going to defend myself in court. Well, exactly. And, and you know, Sue Till Blue was a very real uh, aspect, <coughs> has been for a while. Thankfully, you know, unfortunately, you know, at the national level, it is still, uh, it can be touch and go there sometime. We do have a majority on the national Supreme Court, but at least in the state of North Carolina, we finally have uh, some, you know, folks who are willing to interpret the Constitution as it was written and, verif and uh, you know, validate our state legislature. You're listening right. to All Things Sane here on WSIC News Radio. We'll be right back after the break. 
Welcome back to All Things Sane on WSIC News Radio. This is David Coble filling in for Representative Sane. I'd like to be part of our show, 70, or sorry, not 704-844-STUDIO-4. We're also streaming live on the WSIC News Facebook page. We're here with Representative Jake Johnson from the North Carolina House, 113th District. Uh, Representative Johnson, before we get into a couple of other um, items, did want to talk a couple of veto overrides. So you all have passed some legislation uh, that the governor has vetoed, uh, and so you've got a few coming up. One, I think, that a lot of our listeners are keenly interested in is the transgender gender reassignment bill. Talk a little bit about that and sort of how that's shaking out. Well, you know, I, I think the biggest arguments against are against this bill are, oh, it's not really a problem here. That's not really happening. But I can tell you from firsthand experience, I've talked with legislatures uh, in other states who have said, we have talked with people who said, we are going to go have these surgeries done on our kids in North Carolina because we know it's going on there. Uh, you look at some of the medical hubs around the state, it is absolutely going on. They're issuing these puberty blockers. Uh, and we've even heard cases of them doing uh, gender reassignment surgery. Mm -hmm. So uh, to say it's not happening here, I think is, is a, definitely misleading people. So we did a bill saying North Carolina is no longer going to be the haven for these puberty blockers and gender reassignment surgeries. Uh, frankly, I think it should be categorized as felony child abuse to do that to your kids. Uh, just cause they're, you know, playing with their sister's dolls or something like that, or, you know, you know, doing whatever, you know, playing with their siblings or something, you know, I think it's a real uh, criminal act on the parents behalf to go and have these life altering surgeries, irreversible surgeries and hormone blockers put in place uh, that frankly, the suicide rates are extremely high for individuals who have these procedures and take these uh, type of puberty blockers. So we're making sure that's uh, not happening in North Carolina. And I think you're, you, most citizens would agree with us on that. Oh, absolutely, 100%. I had, had someone share with me a comment that someone had made that they didn't feel like they could be safe in North Carolina anymore, anymore because their four-year-old was transgender. And so they were thinking about leaving the state. And I'm like, look, I, I don't even know how as a parent, you know, I'm the parent of three kids. I don't know how as a parent you reasonably look. I mean, my four-year-old, you know, my, when my you know when my kids were four-year-olds, man, they thought they were dinosaurs at times. Yeah. They thought they were <laughs> birds at times. I mean, it, you know, children are developing in, in their concept of reality, their concept of who they are. Um, it, it, ha it comes over time and understanding and, and to say, to say, well, my four-year-old's not the, you know, thinks, you know, thinks they're a boy, but they're really a girl. And so now we're going to take them and we're going to permanently scar them. We're going to permanently change them at this age. Um, just seems, it, it's amazing to me. We're at a stage in this country where we can't all get behind the fact that, Hey, you know what? Listening to a four-year-old about what they are and who they are, maybe not the best thing. Maybe we wait and let them grow a little bit and get to, you know, where they actually have a concept of who they are before for doing these life-altering um, reassignment surgeries and, and puberty blockers on them. And I've always said, I said, listen, you know, I don't agree with it, but if you're 18 and not asking for any taxpayer money, you go do whatever you want to do. But when we're talking about protecting our kids, uh, there has to be some legal protections in there. Uh, and frankly, the saddest part is sometimes I feel like it's these parents just want to be the hip one in the neighborhood and say they have a transgender kid and and it's more of an attention thing for the parents than it is looking out for the kids. So 
uh, th- they certainly deserve some legal protection there. No, 100%. And I'm glad that uh, we have a, a legislator that's fighting for that. Um, obviously, you um, technology, big focus uh, for you as chairman of the IT Appropriations. Um, and you know, had the opportunity to sit on a panel with you earlier this year uh, where we got to talk about broadband access and um, you know the sort of the partnerships that are going on. Um, I know we have um, broadband programs in the state to incentivize internet companies uh, to provide rural broadband and things like that. How is that going in the state and what are you seeing? Well, it, 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 this is one of the uh, uh, less contentious parts uh, of the budget, I think. You know, really, uh, I, I would say the only place we've really disagreed with the governor's office on this is maybe they want to put a little bit more toward affordability, where we want to put a little bit more toward uh, accessibility. Uh, you know, I've said in our rural areas, you know, my people don't even have the option to be able to not afford it. We, we, there are, there are no options in some of our areas. So we want to make sure we get uh, everyone where they can access the internet. Uh, there are federal affordability programs out there to help get those monthly rates down. Uh, but our job, I think, is to get it to the areas who are unserved and underserved. Uh, we have invested a significant amount of money. When I talked earlier on the show about investing in things that have economic return, I, I think education and broadband are the two you can look at, whether you're looking at working from home, learning from home, telehealth, starting a small business, whatever it is, you have to have Internet access to do these things. Uh, we've invested just just for scale of the investment we're making and Representative Sane really set the stage for this uh, going back uh, five, six, seven years uh, with the great grant program. The first round of funding I believe we ever did with this program was about $150 million over 10 years, uh, which is $15 million a year, which at the time seemed like a lot. But now we know that's a drop in the bucket of what we needed. There are single counties getting that now. Uh, our latest investment was was right at a billion dollars. Uh, that's partnering with private providers to go in, uh, working with local entities, and this next round uh, with bead funding coming down from the federal government, we could potentially be looking at upwards of $1.5 billion. So that's just in the last two or three budget cycles, looking at almost uh, potentially $2.5 billion of broadband investment. That is a significant closing of the gap here and getting us closer to everyone being served with fast and reliable internet. Absolutely. And one of the things that obviously that comes with that, and I know another item that you've really been heavily focused on is cybersecurity. I was uh, noted in an article uh, from last week, CyberSeek uh, had indicated there are more than 21,000 current openings for cybersecurity positions inside the state. And obviously, um, and you alluded to it at the top of the show, cybersecurity is critical. The Bureau of Labor Statistics says that there's probably going to be a need for nearly 20,000 jobs on an annual basis uh, for uh, things like cybersecurity, information security. So what are you uh, doing from at a state level to sort of, you know, make sure that not only our state is, um, state systems are safe, but also uh, incentivizing corporations like that to make sure that they're safe. Well, you, you pointed out the shortage in workforce and no one's done more for this than our, than our normal host representative saying he's been uh, funding these, uh, funding these educational workforce programs to make sure we have people to fill those jobs because, uh, because frankly, it, it's a, it's it's going to be critical. There are, uh, you know, daily. Uh, you, you can think of, you know, the the potential for attacks, and uh, you know, there's some we can't get into as much that have happened at the state level. But if you want to look at an example of what can happen at a catastrophic level, look at the Colonial Pipeline. 
that was a private company, not state owned. But if you want to look at some worst scenarios, uh, that that's one of them. And, you know, I, I, I'm from the perspective of the United States will will not be invaded uh, by a ground force. Our, our military is just too big and too strong. What does keep me up at night is is getting hit with a with a cyber attack that that shuts down our internal systems uh, and, you know, compromises our, our, our data. That that is a real threat that we have to continually be investing in ways to prevent it from happening. No, 100 percent. And I know that you and, uh, of course, Representative Sam have done a ton of work on that front. Um, before we get out of here, though, I did want to bring uh, one quick item up. Uh, you did mistakenly, when we were prepping for today, send me a text uh, you didn't mean to send me related to fantasy football. <laughs> I noticed that I was not invited to participate with you in fantasy football. Yeah, which, that's because I want a chance to win. Well, and and that's what I was getting at. I was going to get in my legendary status. That if you go on my Yahoo fantasy football account, there is many a little gold cartoon uh, uh, trophy there. But I did want to ask you, obviously, in the news uh, lately has been running backs not getting paid uh, because of uh, you know certain things in the NFL. A lot of people feeling that uh, a lot of running backs feeling that they're getting underchanged. But in the fantasy world, running back in the first round used to be absolutely essential. So tell our listeners, Representative Jake Johnson, your philosophy on the fantasy football draft. Are you still a running back first, or have you have you gone another direction? No, the running back first has always paid off for me, and. You know, I'd say draft them early and often because, uh, you know, obviously a position that's very injury prone just by the nature of the business and and taking that many hits that many times a game. So, you know, I said you you hate to see it, but if somebody goes down, you got to have next man up. So, uh, you know, you don't get those do overs on the draft. So I I say draft the, the, the strong running backs early and often. And somebody who uh, isn't going to split time is going to get a lot of carries. Yeah. So you know what? And the, but the, those are fewer and fewer, far between. I'm going to I'm going to respect your position, but I'm going to respectfully disagree. I feel like that the uh, platoon running back situation has offered a unique opportunity, especially in points per reception leagues, in order to grab those uh, grab those uh, wide receivers uh, up front and be able to get those points per receptions, right? Because in the pl- you, you said it yourself in the platoon situations, you can draft one or the other and you can usually get some pretty serviceable carries there's the uh the the days of the ezekiel elliott's and stuff like that there's fewer and fewer of those well and also get you a running back who can who can catch the ball who has who has some hands if uh if you you, get the dual threat that's big with some good pass rushers uh, in the league now, you got to be able to dump it off to a running back, and he'll pick up some quick yards here and there. Exactly. So tell us, uh, tell us. I'm just, I'm kind of curious from your standpoint for uh, if uh, you get the number one pick this year in your fantasy league, who are you taking? Who is the first off the board for you? Oh gosh. I'm, I'm I'm hesitant to tell you because we might end up in a league <laughs> together. I really, I really, I really, I'm really going to keep it to myself. I'm, I'm, I'm really keeping it to myself. But You're playing the long game here. I like it. I, I like I'm it. playing the long game because I know there's a scenario we end up in the same league, <laughs> and, and I know it's going to happen. You're going to get the draft pick right before me in a random draw, and I'm going to go. I literally told him on the radio show what I was what I was going to do. Like I, I, I already gave it away, and then I'd have to figure out who you wanted so I could trade you, and it's going to cause a huge problem. Well, exactly. Exactly, and to, and to be I'll fair, I'll play close to the chest, but I've already told you the type of player I'm looking for, so you can make your own deduction. Yeah, well, and then I may not even agree with your pick, but just out of spite, I would probably take them. Just, I know you would, <laughs> and that's exactly what I'm not going to tell you. Representative Jake Johnson, thanks so much for being on the show with us today and fit me helping me fill in for uh, Representative Jason Things Sane on all things Sane. You're a great guest. Thanks for uh, thanks for your service and all that you do. 
Well, David, I, I, I expected to hear you called a lot of things in this lifetime. I'm not sure guest host was one of them, but, <laughs> but I really appreciate you having me on and look forward to having Representative Sane back. Absolutely. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. Jeff Sane will be back next week.